A warm welcome back to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And today we're going to be talking some shit about uh, Aston Villa and maybe talking some shit about our performance overall. Granted, we did get the three points. Uh, here with a more positive outlook, I guess, uh, my two co-hosts. All three of us are back together again. Sam, I'll start with you, man, since you kind of missed out on last pod. But uh, how have you been in the meantime? I've been good. I've been good. Wait, did I miss out on last episode? Uh, I was, was there last episode. Yeah, two episodes yeah, ago. I was there last week. I, you didn't remember like you, my singing? Do you know why it feels like you've been gone? It's because I invited you to watch the game over and you didn't come mm, This morning? Yeah, it was too early, bro. I'm sorry. 6 a.m. Um, in L.A. Kickoff time. Yeah. But I don't know about this whole, um, you know, your two other podcast hosts being more positive than you. I think uh, we had a general consensus about the way we performed today. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now when we get more into it. Andreas, how's your Sunday going? It's good, man. Um... I can try to twist the silver lining. We're still undefeated in the Premier League under Graham Potter. Oh, there's tons of silver lining. Five ones on the bump, too, for sure. Yeah, 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 there's positive. I mean, we can look like shit and still get three points. Hey, not many teams can say they can do that. But apart from that... Another clean sheet, too. Yep, Kepa's on fire. But outside of football, um, by the time a lot of people read this, I will be an uncle once again. Um, My sister-in-law is at this moment, driving to the hospital. So, Ooh. yeah, it looks like uh, I'll have a little, my first ever niece as of the time when people will be listening to this. So pretty exciting Congrats. stuff for the family. If people do listen to this way before 7 a.m. Central time. <laughs> send a prayer or whatever deity you believe in. Ask them for a, a safe delivery. And, uh, yeah, good, good things happening in, in the family. So exciting. Hoping for the best too, Andreas. Um, yeah. All right, let's get into this match. Um, Chelsea win two nil against Aston Villa. Um, went through the starting eleven as usual. We started off as a three four three. Kepa retaining his spot in goal, um, with our center backs being Kukurea, Thiago Silva, and Chalaba, aka Chalabino. Our fullbacks of Chilwell uh, and Raheem Sterling on the right side filling in for um, Reese James, who's probably going to be out for quite some time, luckily avoiding surgery. I think that's something that we, we forgot to add, but he's going to be out for, what, like six six weeks, eight, eight weeks, weeks maybe? They're saying eight so weeks now. Missing, missing the World Cup, likely. Poor guy. Mm-hmm. Um, then Kovacic, RLC in the midfield, and uh, Mason Mount, Kai, and Aubameyang up front. So I just mentioned Reese James' injury. Um, yeah, there's going to be the break um, with the World Cup, and hopefully, if we're judging by this timeline, when we return from the World Cup, he'll be ready to go. So I don't think that his timeline for Chelsea has really changed. I think that we were kind of under the assumption that he wouldn't play until the World Cup anyway. So, um, you know, that assumption hasn't really changed. But going into our first match without him, Sterling started as wingback, as I mentioned. 
seemed like an experiment by um, Graham Potter. Maybe an experiment gone wrong, to be honest. Um, I don't know. It, Zach, do you think this is like a bump in the road in terms of playing this system with an attacking wingback? Or do you think these are signs of what life will look like without Reese? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. It, it's growing pains for sure in terms of playing with an attack-minded wingback. Um, we've seen Grand Potter do this at Brighton, and we've pretty much beaten this horse to death in terms of talking about it. But it's been proven to work with a lot with, with a with a group of players that are half as talented as our squad. So who's to say that it wouldn't be able to work with a team like ours? Should we implement it against the right team and against the right system? I think that's the key as well. Um, so in that way, I do think it's growing pains. I don't want to necessarily say it's a bump in the road. I, I think these things are inevitable. When you have a player like Raheem Sterling, who's used to being out wide, high up the pitch, and now you're giving him you know, some defensive duties, and you're asking him to play a little bit further back and, and fill a different role in the squad, he is, regardless of his experience, he is going to kind of go through, um, I don't want to say a rough patch, but growing pains is good. I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, and then in terms of you know, what it, is, is this what life looks like without Reese? It is, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because we can, we can go on and on and on and talk about how defensively we struggled and looked exposed on the right side. But in terms of going forward and our delivery, um, our ball retention, um, the physicality, I mean, we were missing all of that on the right side. So I think it goes a little bit beyond, you know, talking about the defensive frailties and whatnot. But in terms of the attack, even though we had a more attack minded, a more natural attacker playing there in place of Reese, we seem to miss his threat bombing forward and putting those balls in the box and those dangerous low crosses and just, you know, his threat that he provides. Um, I think when he's on the pitch, other teams are definitely taking it into account in terms of, I can't even give this guy three feet of space or else he's going to deliver the perfect ball into the box, you know, right on a Yang's forehead or on the top of his foot or whatever. So the fact that Reese wasn't there, it did, I feel like it did help playing to Aston Villa's hands in a way that it made him feel comfortable attacking that right-hand side um, with no regard in the first half. And credit to them. I mean, I thought they played well in, for the full 90 minutes, but especially that first 45, they exposed the hell out of our right side. So I do think in the future, I'm open to seeing this again. Um, I just think that, you know, we need, to, we need to try it out a little bit more. You know, it's, it's only, what, our second game that Raheem Sterling started there. And I think the first match he started on the left-hand side. So every single yeah. match he seems to be playing a different role. And I, I feel like it might be asking him to do a little bit too much. But then again, at the same time, Potter is trying to feel out a lot of these players and find out what they're capable of doing tactically as well as, you know, um, just in one specific system. So I I didn't think... The fact that the wing, like him at wing back, was the issue. I think, unfortunately, everyone around him also was not good in the buildup. So I think that that really played a part in what happened. You know, when we did this with Reese on, on the right side and Sterling on the left as, as quote unquote wing backs, at least the buildup was there. Raheem could stay high and we were fluidly moving the ball. I was completely. Like, not happening in this match. I thought that not only was the midfield really bad at keeping possession, but in a system where you want to depend on the width of the pitch, especially under Potter, who likes to make those early cross-field switches, if the opposite end of the field, which was Kukure and Chilwell, 
are as bad as they were today. And then our midfield on top of that can't connect more than three passes. And Sterling as this like pseudo wingback winger isn't going to work because the guy's never going to be in those attacking positions where he can receive the ball and start being a one-on-one threat on the defense. I think that was really the issue here. I thought that, uh, sure, it was an experiment. Is it an experiment that I want to try again? Honestly, yes, because we saw how it could be when Sterling was on the left. I just think that it was kind of one of those things where uh, when everything could go wrong, it, it sort of did. Not only are you playing without Reese James, which kind of lessens that width, not just threat like Zach said, but in the buildup. And then whenever you're only one-sided and you can't even get the ball to that guy in that position, then Sterling also looked extremely pedestrian as a winger. So now it, it is a domino effect of of how this all played out. Yes, it's not going to look exactly the same without Reese James, but I also don't think it's going to be this uh, aesthetically bad going forward either. I think the back three, when we deploy back three, it's going to be strong. Again, I thought this game aside, Kogria not being great and all that, but you have a good back three. Our, our pivot has been working pretty well recently. Mason Mount is on complete other level right now, so why couldn't this work? Again, I think Villa just came out. They're desperate for wins. They're desperate to keep Steven Gerrard's job, and everything that went wrong for us in our buildup was working for them and how they were trying to disrupt how we wanted to move the ball. So, I yeah, I think it's it's going to continue being an experiment. I think that we'll still see attacking players at right wing back instead of the left side now because obviously no Reese James means you can't be uh, super defensive on both sides of the of the pitch. But I'm not as pessimistic on what life without Reese can look like in a short term. Of course, I can't wait for him to come back, but I think we can manage until the the World Cup break. I want to quickly talk about just like the defense in general, because you did mention Kukurea, Chilwell also, they struggled early on. I mean, Chilwell was lucky to stay on after a borderline red line, a red card tackle. Um, Kukurea, he looked completely lost. Um, you know, Graham Potter did bring on Dave and uh, Kula Bali to kind of shore things up in the back. Um, but even after that, we still looked vulnerable. Um, but talking about Kukurea, I think that's a, a good talking point, whether it's a good idea to keep him as a center back long term. Um, Zach, I know that you kind of feel one way about that. Near muted. There we go. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I look. I think he could fill a role at center back. I think he could kind of fill in when needed, if absolutely necessary. But I mean, the guy's a left back. He just does not strike me as a as as a center back. And both size wise and positionally, he was exposed a lot in this game. Um, now, I granted. He hasn't really put in a bad performance at Chelsea so far up to this point. So take it, take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt because this is his one bad performance. But at the same time, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I, I think we could see the frailties that he poses if teams are willing and can expose him at the back, uh, both height-wise and 
positionally as well. So, you know, I, I know he got beat a couple times. Um, I think it was a lead up to one of one of Keppa's ridiculous saves, one of his seven ridiculous saves. But yeah, overall, I, I just don't feel as comfortable having him back there as much as I do having a Koulibaly or even a Dave for that matter. You know, that's a guy that's played in that position a ton. Um, but look, I mean, I know the injury situation makes things kind of tricky. I know Tiago Silva picked up a little hamstring injury. I don't want to say it's an injury, but Graham Potter did say that he felt some discomfort and whatnot. So we are going to be seeing Kukurea play back there. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, I would prefer to see him as, as a wing back. But I fully understand that, you know, he is going to eventually come in and play center back here and there when needed. So it's inevitable. It's not something I really want to see, but... Um, you know, I I just wasn't impressed today. I thought that, you know, he was the weak link in that first back three that we deployed. Um, and then obviously when Koulibaly and Dave came on, it did look a little bit more solid back there. And I think Koulibaly's physicality definitely played a huge part in us kind of regaining control of the defensive solidity we had in the second half. Um, I'm not as fussed by it. Honestly, I think it was just one-off performance. I think that I I will gladly have Kukri in a back three right now rather than have Dave back there. So I'm going to stick my guns with that. I think this was just one bad performance. I think it doesn't bode well when the guy in front of him is also having a bad game. So between the two of them, the left side was just dead. Obviously, I think it works a little bit better to the two players when you have an attacking player in front of uh, Kokorea in a back three to where he's more of a left back instead of a left center back because he's doing the defensive work. So I, I really don't think it's like a, you know, awful, awful thing. I think it was just one bad game. Um, I think as well, I think we had a, somebody ask us um, whether it's like a left back versus center back thing. Of course, Kukorea is a left back. He is traditional left back, but I think in this weird Potter role, we saw how good it looked when he was the cover for Sterling. So you get a Polisic, a Sterling on the left, quote unquote, wing back role, and they don't have to worry about their defensive responsibility. Uh, size doesn't bug me because he was jumping over, was it Tesco, Pesco, whatever that guy's name was from Salzburg, who was like almost a seven foot tall striker. So to me, Again, just I think one bad off performance. It again, that whole left side was dead to me. I thought they both should have been pulled off at halftime. Uh, instead, Kai, who also wasn't great, was the other one to make room. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think it adds a little bit of flexibility. There was a play that was extremely, extremely composed where the ball came back and Kukureya had to do like a diving header towards Thiago Silva, then jumped right back to his feet and did a one-two off of that with Thiago Silva to get out of pressure. So was it overall bad performance? Sure. Do I think he doesn't work at center back? No, I don't. I don't think that's how it works. I think he's fine as a left center back. It worked with Brighton for 10 matches when they went on a good run. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not down on this as much as, as you are, Zach. I do want to read the Twitter question because I think this is a first-time question. Uh, Asker, uh, at... 12 Bants Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Bants. Um, he said, Kukurea was chasing shadows today. I think he's better as a left back. 
in a back four than at left center back in a three. Um, and I think Andreas already gave his answer that clearly, yeah, he is better in that position because that's kind of his natural position. I agree with that. Zach, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, I agree with it, but I do kind of want to harp on the point Andres made. He did make a good point in terms of who's actually playing in front of you reflects a lot on how you're probably going to perform in that match too. I don't want to put the notion out there that I thought any of the other players playing in front of him were great. I don't think anybody was by any stretch of the imagination outside of Keppa and Mount. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. Chilwell had a really poor match, um, and so did the midfield. So maybe that attributed it uh, attributed to it a bit, but. I still do think he's better as a left back in a back four. And of course that does depend on who you're playing in front of him, what midfield's there, obviously who's partnering him as a center back right next to him. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think that he physically cannot play in the back three. I just think in a match like this, where the physicality seems to be the main thing, probably like the main theme of the match, I would say on both sides, um, he just really, doesn't suit that kind of style of play, but yeah, definitely a left back for me. All right. So you mentioned the two bright spots, uh, spots, Keppa and Mason Mount. I think those are the two players I kind of want to talk about. We can just general, you know, just generalize and summarize everyone else's performance as eh, subpar. And uh, without those two, we would not be walking away with three points. Um, Keppa and Mason Mounts. Starting with Keppa, um, he had, I mean, some amazing saves. Like, they probably should have scored two, three goals on us. Um, and he looked great. Um, seven saves total, which was his his most in a in his top flight career in a win. He completed 28 out of 36 passes. So, you know, only his only misplaced passes were long ball attempts. Um, really sure with the, the ball at his feet. Per Opto Joe, Kepa has prevented more goals in terms of expected goals than any other uh, goalkeeper in the Premier League this season with 3.2. The next closest is Allison with 2.7. And Kepa has played only three games. So out of these seven saves, saves, five of them were inside the box, including a goal line save on Danny Ings to keep it level. It was like a triple save, to be honest. Um, and this will mark four straight clean sheets for him. So the performance was good today, but it's been really good ever since he took over as a, a starting goalkeeper. And, I mean, I think... The main question that everyone's asking, and I think we've talked about this, but it's still like I think today's performance kind of might change your answer a little bit. <laughs> and this one is from Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme on Twitter. He asked, Will Mendy get to play again? Hmm. Andres, what do you think? Yeah, if Kepa gets hurt. <laughs> I mean, the man is oozing confidence right now. I think the team now feels, at least after this match, they should feel that they're in good hands, no pun intended. I think Kepa has just 
I've seen it everywhere now. The man got engaged and now he's got superpowers. I, it it really feels like perhaps it's a it's a you know a a concoction of of good fortune for him. You know, things out, off, outside the pitch are going really well for him in his personal life. And he got a second chance of reviving his career at Chelsea, and he just took the bull by the horns. I think that, you know, when we ask him in terms of shot stopping, today just proves that when he's on it, he can be a more than capable goal, capable goalkeeper. And then on top of that, you know, we we kind of hammered his topic to the ground, but he just feels comfortable when playing with the ball at his feet. He feels confident with making longer passes he feels confident getting out of his line now which i think was something he really struggled with during those bad times under lampard where he just kind of kept second guessing if he should go out for a cross if he should go out to tackle a guy who, who kind of ran through the back line and so yeah as of right now you don't take him out simply like we talk about riding the hot hand and all that that we do that with other players but in terms of goalkeeping that position, since you don't run like a madman, it, it it's more true for that than any other position on the pitch. So I don't know when we'll see Mendy again. I, I really don't. Yeah, I, uh, I'll double down on that. And if you want evidence, just don't look any further than Brighton. Uh, Graham Potter replaced their goalkeeper with their current goalkeeper, um, Sanchez, who's better with the ball at his feet because it fits his playing style a lot more. So I think that's a huge thing that Graham Potter does take into consideration as much as it pains me to say, because I do. I am one of those people that considers himself a purist. I think a goalkeeper needs to be a shot stopper and a physical presence first an organizer, not necessarily a ball player, but Kepa's doing all of those things and then some. And I think that's actually what's putting him over. Andres, you mentioned his ability to come off the line, which he wasn't really comfortable doing early on. He's way quicker than Mendy at coming off of his line. I think he reads the sort of sweeper-keeper role a couple milliseconds faster than Mendy can. And then the other thing is, we thought that he was incapable of saving shots from outside of the 18. And he showed today, and he showed in the past couple games as well, that he's definitely improved in that regard as well. I don't think it's a matter of Kepa kind of coming in and feeling more comfortable with his role and just kind of coming out of his shell, which he was kind of hiding in the last few years. No, no, no. I think this guy's been putting in work on the training pitch. I think mentally he hasn't put a foot wrong since that Carabao Cup final. He hasn't thrown a hissy fit and thrown his toys out the pram trying to get out of the club. His agent's not making any noise. His family's not making any noise. There's really no snakes in the grass in his camp. And he just seems like he's the guy that comes to Cobham every day, focus, puts his head down and works. And I honestly think that's what got him, you know, obviously Mendy got injured and that's why he comes in, but that's what got him this sort of vein of confidence. And, you know, all credit goes to Graham Potter because he could have easily thrust in Mendy back into the side and said, no, no, this is our number one, regardless of how Keppa's playing. Kind of like Tuchel did. When Keppa came in under Tuchel, played well a few matches, then all of a sudden Mendy was our number one again. I think Graham Potter's noting is definitely taking notes on every single Kepa performance. And guys, I mean, he's been basically perfect since he came in. And I have a, I have a stat here I didn't include on the podcast, but those four straight clean sheets, that's the first time that happened since 2016 under Antonio Conte. So I think it, obviously Kepa is a huge part of that, but we just got to kind of keep the ball rolling, continue playing the hot hand, the guy's feeling himself, 
And again, he offers more than just the shot stopping and that ball playing ability. You see him pointing and shouting at at the defenders in front of him and pointing and shouting at the midfielders, organizing the wall on free kicks, organ- making sure that every single man has a mark on corners and set pieces. I mean, that's just absolutely crucial for any goalkeeper. And if I had to criticize Mendy for anything besides his ball playing ability with his feet, it would be that, that ability to communicate to your teammates and, and sort of be that authoritative figure. Granted, Keppel wasn't the number one up until this season, you know, for the past two, three years or year, rather, two years. But he comes in and the players listen to him when he tells them something and he points and shouts. Guys aren't barking back at him or dissenting against him. They're listening to him and taking it to heart and making those adjustments. And the proof is in the pudding. It's all paying off. So, no, I don't think Mendy's going to be playing again as the number one goalkeeper. I think in... I, th- I think he'll get playing time, you know, in cup competitions and whatnot. And maybe, you know, he puts together a few performances and earns himself a couple of Premier League starts just for rotation's sake. But in terms of our out-and-out number one, it has to be Keppa right now. And I never thought I would say that. I'll be the first person to say that. <laughs> I never thought I would be uttering those words, but good for him. Yeah, one thing you mentioned was like, oh, we haven't had that many clean sheets since Conte. I think one thing that needs to be addressed is like under Conte, our keeper, it was Courtois at the time. He wasn't seeing many shots. Like that back three was stalwart, con- concrete, like you're not getting through it. Our defense is not that. And obviously we talked about seven shots and seven saves today that he had to handle. And I still don't think our defense is to a point where Kepa gets just a free pass and the clean sheet is not something he contributed to. So I think that's important. And the other thing, Zach, you mentioned like, oh, he's suddenly putting in work and he's suddenly doing this. I'm telling you, like, I don't want to like add too much value, but we need to send, we need to send flowers, we need to send chocolate, we need to send whatever women like to his now lady, because I think it really has to do with this. I mean, the man, let's not forget his first season here was a success outside of like the wanting to stay in for penalties under sorry. Like, we liked Keppa. We enjoyed Kepa as our keeper under Sari. He he wasn't bad his first season and he was confident. Then this breakup happens. He's no longer happy in London. Then things start going bad. Then he plays bad. He loses his job. Things sort of keep piling on shit after shit after shit after shit. The, the, the saying shit happens was happening to Kepa every single day. He meets a nice lady. She kind of picks him back up and then he puts in the work and now he gets his job. I'm just saying, guys, we need to all send some love to Kepa's missus. I wish, I mean, okay. I think you guys are suffering very, very hard from recency bias because you're saying Keppel won't lose a spot unless he gets hurt. I mean, I can totally envision him going through a spell where he doesn't look good, where he's letting in goals that, you know, are rolling between his legs and, you know, like, there's a reason why we went out and desperately were looking for a keeper and brought in Mendy. It's because he he didn't look good for a long period of time. And yeah, right now he's playing like like Zach said, he has he's been playing perfectly. He hasn't really made any mistakes. Um but I don't know. I I I just will hold a little bit of skepticism in that respect 
I'll play a little devil's advocate. If the argument for Kukurea is that he did it really well for 10 matches last season so he could play at center back, if Kepa keeps four consecutive clean sheets and puts together six consecutive matches where he's looked like our number one, more than solid, why, why can't we say the same thing about him? Well, I mean, if he plays six consecutive bad matches in a row, you're not going to change your, your tone about him? No, of course I change my tone about him. But exactly. the same thing so goes possible. for if he plays if he plays six consecutive good matches, we know it's in him. And that's just yeah. a mental thing. I think the ability is, is there. But it, it, and again, it, when he had his first bad stint, it was for me, it was like 75% mental, 25% ability. He was a lot more lightweight. He he could not he fiz- he could not save a shot from outside of the eighteen yard box. I I don't know if you guys are still as scarred as I am from that, but the man was incapable of reading the flight of a shot that was more than twenty yards away from him. And so, I mean, I'm seeing the improvement in more ways than one. I think his leadership ability has improved. His ball playing ability has always been good, even in, when he wasn't in great form. His ball playing ability was still pretty solid. But shot stopping and that leadership ability for me are the two big things. And the only way you improve that's on the training pitch. So that's why I'm kind of giving him his credit here. And, and that's also why I think he'll keep Mendy out as well, is because it's not just a matter of him going out on the field and proving it during a game, but he's definitely proving it in training. If, if the manager's still speaking this highly about him after these performances, there's no inkling from Potter that Mendy's going to come back in in the Premier League at some point, or like, even like, in the Champions yeah, League for that matter. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, what you're saying right now is 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 what's happening at this moment like and that's why i'm saying recency bias because right now he looks really good but i can i can i'm not saying that it will happen i'm just saying i can totally see a situation where he puts together a long stretch of matches where he where the old habits start to come out again but i mean i I don't know that's Uh, it's happened before it could happen again. Yeah. 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 If another woman leaves him after a long relationship, we're exactly Keppa's gonna not... gonna have a broken heart and there goes his ability to stop anything because he exactly. if he can't stop a woman if from that's walking all it out takes... the door, if he's not gonna stop a woman from walking out the door, he's not gonna stop a shot. Look, well, he's, it's you, not a woman man, walking out, it could be something else. Like well, I'm telling you, he's learning He's learning from his mistakes. He's wiping this one up and keeping her around because he knows she'll do him Bro, some good. Even so. that's not guaranteed. The man's <laughs> head is in the game and in his woman. We the, the moment we should be worried is the moment he starts blow drying his girl's hair like Maratha. Then we should all be worried. Uh, he is right, putting those... in the work on and off the field, and it's showing. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason Mount. He's he's staying on fire after the last match. Um, quickly heating up. Two goals, of course. That brilliant dipping free kick came out of nowhere, honestly. Surprise, I think, everyone watching the match and, and, and everyone playing as well. Um, and <laughs> a real pure poacher's goal um, with a brilliant assist from Tyrone Mings, if I must, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> but, you know, in all honesty, it was a very tidy finish. Uh, good on Mason Mount to put that away because. Um, he has had other situations similar, not obviously with a center back laying the ball right at your feet um, after a terrible clearance, but he's had chances from that spot. 
throughout the season and he's missed the target a lot. He's missed uh, it from six yards out. <laughs> you know, but so, uh, you know, you have to give him credit for that. Um, two out of two dribbles completed, seven out of 11 duels won. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just been, I mean, it, these two goals today were his first two Premier League goals this season. So I think that he start. He, you know, hopefully that this is the start of something new for him. He's going to start getting back to his old form and um, really putting it together. Um, Andreas, what did you see from Mason Mount? Well, you said it. He, he started heating up. He asked for balls back, and he scored again a second time this game, man. I think, honestly, I didn't think his performance is like a 90-minute performance was something that's going to have me shouting from the rooftops. But I do think the fact that the two moments that kept us, you know, outside of Kepa's brilliance on the other end of the pitch, two sparks came from Mason Mount. Any other attacker... Maybe even Mason Mount another day thinks, oh, that's an easy clearance by Tyrone Mings. I'll just get the second ball. And Mason Mount was ready to press him. He was the only one near that. There was literally nobody else around him. So you have to give him props for not giving up on the play. And like you said, it's a tidy finish. He, it's, I think that's the equivalent of a wide receiver in the NFL having to make an over-their-shoulder catch. You have to follow the ball all the way down and then make sure you get a clean strike. And he didn't even fear contact from the keeper. So good on him there. And then the free kick, I mean, I think that was a huge one. Obviously, it was beautiful the way it was dipping and moving. But more importantly, it's about damn time that he hits a set piece well this season. If there's any sort of like minor nitpick I have in, in him catching his form back is that his set piece game has not been on point. I thought that it's a great strike. I hope that it gives him a little bit of confidence to even just shoot a little bit more from outside the box because we know that's in him. And and again, the good the the difference between good and great players is that the great players can have a shit game and do something like this. So for him to be able to to sort of take the offensive burden all on his own this time around is is just nice because the great teams, like I said, they win even when they play like shit, and the great players are the ones that make it happen. So so good on Mason for, for leading the way once again. He's really starting to find – or not starting to find. I think he found his place in the team here. And, and I've been saying this the last few pods, but, you know, it's a matter of him figuring out what the team needs on that specific day and doing that. You know, in our last Premier League match, the two assists – that's what we needed to get the win. That's what he provided for us. You know, the, the, the penalty shot against AC Milan, that's what we needed to win. That's what he provided for us. And again, today, two goals is exactly what we needed because nobody else was even interested in being a threat in the attacking third. And the guy comes up big. The, the, the first goal was, for me, incredibly impressive because if any of you have tried to pick a ball out of the air that maybe goes 30, 25, 30 yards up in the air and lands on the top of your boot, you're probably not tucking it into the corner on your first touch like Mason did. I think that takes, you know, top class skill and techers to do that. So the difficulty of that shouldn't be understated, but then you go to the second goal. And the second goal for me, I wasn't surprised like you saw him. I knew he had this in his locker, but a, a confident Mason Mount striking a dead ball is very different than a Mason Mount who's not in form. I think that's becoming increasingly clear. He could barely beat the first man on a corner kick when he's not in form, but then. You know, he can hit 
one of the most beautifully struck free kicks we've seen all season in the Premier League from 30 yards out um, and beat the keeper without even having to really go right or left with it, really. He pretty much struck it right down the middle. What was that? What was that video of him when he was a kid? And he said, uh, strike it right under the valve, top bins, and it goes top bins or something like that. Like Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, he basically did that. And, you know, we, we know he has a technical ability to do things like that. It's just a matter of him having the confidence to strike a ball that well. And I think next up in line for a ridiculous free kick like that is probably Reese James. I think that's another guy who has the ability to stick a free kick in the top corner and hasn't done it in a while either. So all credit to him, though, man. I I, I really think that he's hitting top form now and um, he's going to continue growing under Potter. And I I like his role under Potter better than... I like his role under Potter probably better than I even liked his role under Frank. I mean, he's just given the freedom and the license to kind of roam that sort of messy role plus defense and counter-pressing, if you will, where he just kind of goes and finds the ball and is that provider when he needs to be, but he also sticks it in the back of the net when he needs when he needs to also. So great leadership from him. Also good on him for stepping up. I think, uh, you know, from here on out, he's a, he's for probably the first name on the, on the team sheet behind Keppo for me. All right, I kind of want to. I want to address a uh, one of a reply that we got to our tweet um, because this isn't the first time we've caught schlack from uh, our our words about Mason Mount uh, in the past couple of weeks. So we after the match, we tweeted saying, outside of Keppa and Mount's moments of absolute world class quality, that that game was ugly. On another day, we lose that match 3-2. Phil, get the rub of the grin. And um, we got a Twitter response. Huh? No, go for it. Sorry. And uh, this one is from Tom Ashdown, at Tom Ashdown 15. Frequent uh, uh, writer to the pod. So he's he's a listener. What's up, Tom, if you're listening? He said, winning 2-0 at... 2-0 2-0 at Villa Park with games coming thick and fast is a brilliant result. Winning ugly is fine. Taking Keppa and Mount Mount's great moments aside, surely that's like saying, aside from Drogba's goal and Czech's performance in Munich, we wouldn't have won in 2012. Makes no sense. Well, first of all, that, that's, that statement you've made, aside from Drogba's goal and Czech's performance in Munich, we wouldn't have won in 2012. That's an accurate statement. Why does that not make sense either? I think they both they both make sense. Well, the right? difference is, Sam, I don't think we weren't supposed to win that game. That's yeah. the difference. Oh, right, right. That's, that's we weren't point. supposed to win that game. We started with fucking Ryan Bertrand as our left mid. I mean, no, John Obi Mikel probably put in a performance of his life. That yeah, night. that also downplays the fact that Obi Mikel played fantastic in midfield. We had a back yeah. line without our captain. Like, there, there's. And also, like, apples and oranges right now. We're talking about a, a, a keeper who who has been, in terms of his career so far, a, a bad investment versus arguably the club's greatest keeper. And then we're talking about an up-and-coming midfielder with the club's arguably most clutch forward of all time. So, like, I'm going to put my neck out line and say that the comparison of, of that to this makes no sense. What I want to say is this, like, we are not going to put on blue tinted glasses and tell you that this was a perfect performance. Like, one thing that I I know we do is that we tell you exactly what we saw. If we get down on it, 
down on performances when the things are bad, sure, we can be pessimistic. I get that. But just because we called the game ugly doesn't mean we're not happy about it. And I think that, like, Tom being one of our listeners should know that we're we're not being down in the dumps with a tweet. I think words can be read into, and calling a game ugly may sound bad, but Zach spelled it out U-G-L-Y, like, like you know, like sarcasm. Like, you add a little bit of sassiness to it. It's not all doom and gloom. So no, like, but we did have a bad performance. Though. It was, that's what I'm saying, though. But it, but the fact is, we got three points. Like, it, it is okay to say that our keeper saved our ass and that Mason Mount needed two blips of brilliance to save us. Like, that's not incorrect. It's not. It I'm also not a- doesn't mean that we suddenly think we're going to lose three in a row and that everything in the world is ending. We can just be honest with ourselves. Like, it, it's it's okay. Like, I'm not... I'm sorry, I'm not going to be like the Chelsea Mike Up podcast and like get down on my knees and say that everyone was fantastic and the boys put in quite the shift because that's bullshit. It's bullshit. I'm not going to yeah. say, I'm not going to gloss over the fact that Kukurea was bad. I'm the biggest fan of Kukurea on this podcast and I can sit down and say, damn, he was bad today. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, it's I just, I, I just don't, uh, I'm not a fan of participation awards. So I'm not going to fucking hand them out just because 11 players walked on the pitch and played 90. No, that's not how this works. I'm going to call it how I see it. We didn't play well. There were spurts where we looked okay. There were times where we defended somewhat well. you know. And then you had a few moments that were just absolutely brilliant from Keppa and Mount that we've been talking about endlessly in this pod. But I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to criticize the performance because we won and we took took away three points. No. Aston Villa were the better team than us. I thought they played the better football on the day. They pressed better. Granted, they didn't have the possession, but they created more chances. And if you want proof, just go look at the XG. Go look at the expected goals just for this game specifically. We didn't even have a single goal expected from us this game, and Villa had over two. So that's that's point number one. Point number two, this is a podcast where we give our opinions, right? And, okay, I already used the the statistic argument. If you know anything about football, just give it the eye test and watch the game. At no point in that game did I say, man, we really deserve to be three or four up right now. Not once in the entire game did that even cross my mind. Or up in general. No, not even. Let alone, yeah, three, four goals. We shouldn't have been up, to be honest. I mean, we should have. We should have conceded two or three. On a Tuesday or Wednesday night, we probably concede two or three. So no, just you said the stats like look, Aston Villa expected goals 1.7 to 0.87 by us. 0.87. They took they took 18 shots. We took eight. They had four big chances. Yeah, they were peppering us. They had four big chances. We had three and one and one was a gift to Mason Mount. The second one was probably the penalty kick. And honestly, off the top of my head, I can't even tell you the third. So How many like, shots did we take again, Andres? Eight. Okay, so they had one less shot on target than we had total shots. So again, like, it, we can say we scaved by with three points. Like, yeah. And in terms of the robbery, mount thing, in terms of the mount thing, I just want to throw this out there. I was the one propping him up as a future captain. I still wouldn't mind him being named future captain of Chelsea. So any inkling of Mount slander or being down on him, 
it's just nonsense. Like, go back and listen to all the podcasts we've recorded since Mount started playing for us. Since he came into the first team, we've been nothing but positive about him. So I'm not having any of that. It's just, look, we're not going to sugarcoat a game where we we got lucky. End of story. Keppa played great. And in another day, we could still think Keppa played great and lose 2-1 to one in this game. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it is what it is. Hey, shout hey, out cut. to Mason Mount, though. Wait, what? Yeah. I was just what did you say? Hey, we have games coming fast. We can just turn the page because we have another game midweek again. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, shout out to Mason Mount for uh, repping Reese James after that goal, throwing up the 42. Did you guys see that? Oh, the 24. Yeah. <laughs> the 42. He did it backwards. Because <laughs> <laughs> from his perspective, it was 24. But from every other person, it was 42. <laughs> and, he knew what he was uh, doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at comments of it, and people are so funny. Like He's a big Jackie Robinson fan. Like someone saying, like I wasn't able to follow the match due to travel. I thought my man popped six goals. Like <laughs> it did kind of look like he's holding that up. Or it's like someone said, "Happy forty second birthday, Reese." <laughs> hey, no, but for real though, I think he's the second youngest, or he's the youngest. I think he's now the youngest person to reach fifty career goals in the Premier League for Chelsea. Uh, ahead yeah. of Eden Hazard now. I think I read that somewhere. 50 goals? Yeah, sucks. Hazard didn't have fifty before he was. How old's Mount? He's only twenty three. That's, that's what I'm saying. Mount is now younger than Hazard. Like, oh, so, gotcha. Hazard yeah, was yeah. the youngest. Mount is now wow. the youngest. Yeah, because Hazard came around that age, didn't he? Or he Hazard, came around like twenty one. I'm trying to say Mount and Hazard at the same time. Hazard came at age twenty two, twenty three. Yeah. Mount is just about to turn that age. Twenty four, twenty five. Oh no, no, no! I think he's going to turn he's younger. Yeah. All right, Brentford next next match. Um, right now, wait, is that our next match? We don't have a Champions League match. Oh, this is a midweek matchup, huh? Is it? Mm-hmm. Damn. All right. Currently, Brentford ninth, sitting ninth in the table. Um, obviously, Ivan Tony being their big key player with eight goals and two assists so far this season, ten appearances. So. He's had a really good year. Um, as far as their injuries, Christian Norgard, he's been ruled out. Um, their keeper, Thomas Strakosha, is also out. But um, uh, I be- who's their other keeper? I mean, I don't think Strakosha, does he start for them? They brought him in with the intention of him being a starter, but I, there's someone else starting in his place. Someone pretty decent. I'll find it. Um, it's a... Isn't it um, Raya? From uh, is Raya? Oh, no, no. Raya Raya's been their starter. Raya, this Raya. Yeah, yeah. No, I was getting been... him confused with the guy on loan from Man United. Oh no, Henderson is at yeah. Forest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Raya has started. I think Raya started every match this season. Shakosha <laughs> being out is not really anything, but Pontus Janssen um, also is ruled uh, as doubtful this year. I mean, sorry, this match. Um, so um we did not, we got another question from Chelsea Bance actually so I didn't have to squeeze in that first one we got another one <laughs> he said dear pod it was a big win today a much tougher test awaits versus Brentford what's your starting 11 um I mean how 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 much do you guys differ 
or from uh, the 11 we saw today? Andreas? I think significantly. I think I, I go to a back four. I think that you can put Aspie at right back, Kalaba and Kulabali to give Tiago a break since he, you know, is old and he felt a little pain today. Um, left back, flip a coin. I, I think neither left back was fantastic this this match. So I honestly, it just depends on what Potter sees there. You you probably keep the same pivot of of RLC and and Kovacic. Um, I highly doubt that Zakaria is suddenly going to get a start midweek against the Brentford side. That I think they're in in decent form. Um, I can't really remember what they've been up to. Or sorry, they're turning their form around. Um, so I'd say Arlovtis Chikin Kovacic, and I'd say I'd love to start Mason Mount again, but at some point the guy's going to need to rest. Also, um, I wouldn't be shocked if he does, and I would put Gallagher on the right, Sterling on the left, and Broja up top because I think Albameyang. Obviously, he got pulled at half, but I didn't think he was great. I didn't think, or not at half, he got pulled later, but I didn't think he was great, and I didn't think that Kai was great either. And and it's not the first time where both of the sort of pecking order guys didn't play well. So to me, I think it's time for for Broja to step in. And, and I've said it before, he kind of wants to make things happen on his own. So I don't see him sort of fading out of a game like this. I think the physicality of it all would just kind of play into his hands. So 4-2-3-1 with that 11. Yeah, I think I think Pulisic probably gets a start. Um, I think that's, it was kind of, if our defense didn't suck against Villa and we didn't have to make those subs, he probably would have seen 15 or 20 minutes of game time up top. Um, and granted, he's done well under Graham Potter. So I think Pulisic probably gets a start at left wing. Brozo will start up top. I think Gallagher, we probably see more of Gallagher the midfield's where it gets dicey because Jorginho against Brentford is just asking for trouble. A very physical midfield. They usually like to deploy a three-man midfield, whether it's a 3-5-2 or 4-3-3. Um, and RLC has just been so crucial to our midfield. I really don't see him playing anywhere else, honestly, at least starting um, besides Nexicova. So, yeah, the back line is pretty much the same. I'd say Cucurella maybe gets a start on the left. Chile's been playing a lot of minutes between the Champions League and the Premier League. And then, um, you know, with Thiago Silva's thigh injury or hamstring injury, you get Koulibaly and Trevor Chalaba in the middle. So I think, to be honest, guys, that's more than enough to get past this Brentford side. I mean, I know they've conceded a lot of goals, but they've also scored more goals than us too. So I think the team that Potter picks has to be kind of – he has to be a little bit careful – he can't necessarily just go willy-nilly and throw an attacker on the right wing and play a back three and expect to you know, keep a clean sheet and attack efficiently at the same time. That's not going to be the case here. We're coming up against an informed striker in Ivan Tony, who's probably been one of the most informed players across this entire season. You know, If Holland wasn't putting up the ridiculous numbers he was, we'd be talking about Ivan Tony as, a, as probably the, not the surprise of the season, but he's probably been the best player out of all the other teams outside of the, you know, the big six, I guess, for lack of a better word. So, um, yeah, my lineup's pretty much the same. I think we'll go back four, and it should be relatively comfortable for us if we go out there and do what we need to do. And I think it's going to be harped on in the dressing room that, you know, we didn't play well against Villa, 
So I think they're going to come out against Brentford and try to prove a point and show, hey, that was just a blip. We're back on track now, and hopefully we can smack them. So we're going to jump over to predictions. I'm going to go to one Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I, I think our clean sheet streak has to come to an end sometime. Um, but we will get the win. I'm very comfortable. I, I feel very good about that. And if Broja and Pulisic start, I'm going to shout that one of them gets a goal for us. Doesn't matter who. They'll, I, I want to correct my prediction. I think Pulisic does start because I forgot. Uh, Sterling basically played a full match again. So I don't see I don't see him starting, or at least I don't think it would be the smart choice there. Uh, for my prediction, I'll say 2-0. I think, <clears throat> I think we can handle Brentford. We, I, I doubt we get surprised by them again the way we did um, in the back end of last season. So, yeah, I'm going to say 2-0. I think Broja gets on the scoreboard, whether he starts or not. So that's my prediction. Mm, I got to take a second and think about my prediction because I am five in a row with my prediction being spot on. Um, And I think I'm going to stick to it again this week. It'll be a hard-fought battle. Both sides will put it all on the line, and um, yeah, it'll end up stalemate, 2-2 draw. That's my prediction. What do you guys think of that one? That's a solid. I I know you love that prediction. I like that prediction. I hope your streak continues. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. As every other joke. Yep. And for, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, Every time I predict a 2-2 draw, Chelsea wins. So, 2-2 draw. Hard-fought battle. Well, there we go. Um, yeah, if you guys are still listening, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Blues on Parade. We do post an episode after every match. And we also post the questions tweet after every match as well. So, make sure you're looking out for that. If you want to get included on the podcast, just go ahead, comment on a tweet, retweet it. Um, let us know what you guys think. Um, of the match and then also ask us whatever question you want and you might get shouted out just like all of our lovely listeners do even the ones that call us out shout out mm-hmm. to tom um but yeah it, uh anyways until next podcast hopefully three more points in the bag and until then let's keep the blue flag flying high <laughs>